0: Welcome to Golf Lovers United, where we discuss golf the fair way. And what a week! The week of the 44th Ryder Cup out there in Rome at the Marco Simone Golf and Country Club. And what a weekend! It was, in fact, what a week on and off the course, in and out of the car park, on and off coaches, depending on which Twitter feeds you actually do follow. Needless to say, it's been a week full of stories, and we're excited to dive into them. And of course, as always, I'm Mark at Golf Dad UK, and I'm joined by Ben at Golf Lover UK and Jay at Pro Golf Critic. Ben, Jay, how are you boys this week?
1: I'm good. I'm. Uh, I think it's been a very big week in the world of golf we've had a Ryder cup which seems to now feel like it was a year ago since then we've had um, media members like jamie weir be very publicly criticized across a lot of media um, the guy hasn't posted on twitter in five days which is quite odd he's he a regular poster he been called out by multiple players he's been called out by which is rare to see that but there's been like a united call out of of that We've had the Brooks photo of the four players in smash gear. Why I think that's a big thing is that Brooks deliberately packed those shirts for effect, for something like that. So we've also had a lot of people coming out, players come out in the last 24 hours, attacking media, defending each other. It feels like there's been a shift to them trying to say, let's all get on now and let's all move forward. There's been so much going on. Obviously we've got the South Korean guys, which I'll talk about later, and what they've done with getting themselves exempted from military service. Now, we'll cover that properly later because i I think I think that's a really important thing. And I've said there's a post I did about 15 months ago, 16 months ago, about why the South Koreans wouldn't go to live unless they got exempted military service, and I'll go into that. It's been a massive, massive week. I
2: completely agree. There's been a lot going on. Um I am, I gotta tell you guys, I am Really fired up today. I've got my coffee going. Uh, it's in my Live Golf mug, um, and I'm ready to go. There, There's a lot going on, Ryder Cup-wise, in the world of professional golf. I'm ready to tackle it. Let's go. All
0: right. It has been a big week. I was on site for that as well. I went to Ryder Cup out there. I was there Monday, uh, Wednesday, sorry, through Saturday. Um, got there really, really late on Wednesday night, and then... Just got to the course at like six thirty AM on Thursday, ready to rock and roll, uh, and that set the tone uh, for the week. And it, it, it's been a, quite an interesting week on site versus being in the media as well. So I want to I want to talk about that because there's been a lot around Jamie Weir, There's been a lot around Patrick Cantley, who always looks like he's you know he needs some vitamins or something. The poor lad, he always feels like he needs some vitamins. Which you know, I'm a big fan of multivit. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I got to say, it is very ironic that when I sort of tail off talking about the corrupt golf media, because obviously I've been credited with uh, uh, creating that phrase, when I stop talking about it, all of a sudden the rest of the world is talking about how corrupt the golf media is now. So I feel like that little girl in the meme where she's looking back at the camera and the the house is on fire like (laughs) and that's just how how I feel now like I feel like everybody is sort of starting to see what what's been going on with the media so I don't really have to say anything else on it I'm gonna let you you guys for the most part tackle the media stuff and I'll chime in when I need to but uh no the the Ryder Cup looked like it was a amazing show to to uh to be at it's definitely something that I'd, I'd like to uh, go to, I'll probably wind up going, uh, to, to Beth page in a couple of years. Uh, that that's obviously my home course where I grew up on. Um, and we'll have to see, there's a few things that need to be worked, worked out before then. So let's, let's talk about Marco Simone first and, and then, uh, can maybe, maybe yeah, I
0: think Beth Page will be an interesting one. I, I think we'll be there as well. I think it's it's almost a no-brainer after this one just because of the difference in, in courses and 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 so on. So, very very keen on that one. But yeah, it was it's been an interesting week out there. That the course was in amazing condition, and I mean insane condition. You know, I've been to a lot of majors. I've been to a lot of uh, tournaments and. They're always in outstanding condition. You know, you I played a lot of courses out in Florida and so on and so forth as well. And don't get me wrong, they are all stunning. But this one, it felt different because of the way I think it was prepared. It felt it felt in, in exceptionally well put together condition. The greens were really quite slow. They were apparently they were running eleven on on the stimp, um, which was really, really interesting to see. Um especially on the first couple of days as people start to get <laughs> I don't want to say get used to them because I'm not sure they did, but just start to get a feel. For how they were running, um, w- w- there were a couple of things about the course setup that I thought were really quite interesting. That you probably can't, you couldn't really tell on 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 TV. Um, the first one was just the undulations were wild. You know, we're, we're talking on, on on so many different holes, e- even even holes that you would class as flat. There wasn't a flat lie. You know, any, anywhere from even. If I think about it, anywhere from sort of 250 down to like 350, 360, it was clearly designed so that there was just simply not a flat light. doesn't matter which way you look at it. You're either hitting down, hitting up, hitting left, hitting right. Um, it, it was it was very, very interesting. Um, and there was a lot of interesting aprons to the greens as well. A lot of varied, we saw this on 17, a lot of very steep runoff areas that again, you couldn't really see on TV, but I'm talking sort of 15 foot high Aprons that will just you know they they were they were extremely punishing. That's why you when we saw like the shot from Rory with the lob wedge that just punched somehow punched it low into the apron um, on seventeen. Just such a wild shot to be able to do that um, when you saw that. So that was really interesting. Um, But one of one of the more interesting things was just the rough. It felt very Bermuda like. Like getting getting the ball out of there, out of the second cut was it looked disgusting. You know, you're talking three inches deep. Well cut, three, you know, the kind of, you know, the kind of Bermuda grass, everything snags up. Um, If you're not, if you're not an athlete, it's pulling left every time the club's closing down. And uh, it it was insane. And then to get into the proper rough, it it was almost, it was almost Scottish. It was that thick and that deep and and that tall. So it was, you know, granted the the trampling uh, from the fans later on, but it was just a very, well put together course for that one and it was we talked about it on the 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 session before the Ryder Cup where we thought there were going to be three holes that were going to be interesting 16 17 18 it turns out every single drivable par four was really really interesting we saw Hovland make the hole in one um it was actually don't want to ruin anything but it wasn't a hole in one that was his second ball off the tee which they didn't show on tv oh we were there on the on the on the on the sixth tee for it. We saw it going. Um, so it was, it was interesting because there was a lot of drama there as well. You know, we, we, when, when you looked at places like 16 and, and people like Tommy's, Tommy's drive down there, there were people in three woods there. We saw Jordan landing the water with a three wood after Zach Johnson gave him the elbow. Um, but then we'd seen people land it, land it up close with a three wood as well. So there was, there was a lot of well thought out gamesmanship in the design, you know, 16, 17, 18, every, every one of the drivable power fours. Um, and then just some stunning par threes, you know. Seven was outstanding. We were there for Ram rattling the flads on, on the first day when he was just he was possessed on the first day. He was he, he was drilling it everywhere. Um, so it was it was an ex, just an exceptionally well set up course. It felt in really good condition. But and one thing I will say about it, just from the on site experience, that I've probably never experienced even at a major. And th- I think Marco Simone got a, a lot of good rep for this as well. It, because of the undulations, because of the terrain it was so good for spectators. Like there was not one area of the course that was difficult for spectators to get to. It was really well done. And it felt a little bit, actually felt a little bit livy. You know, there was a lot of gigs going on. There was a lot of partying going on. It was loud. And and I'm not talking on course, you know, we've all been to big events, you know, not the on course section. That was as loud as you expect a Ryder Cup to be. But the fan village and everything else that goes with it—you you know what it's like at, at, at events. You know, you get all the things like the DP stands, the DP World stands with the little chipping contests, and you know whatever else is in there. But I'm talking the opening ceremony, the the almost the after party after every single round. You know, Tom Grennan playing. There was a lot of acts on there. Um, big big party vibe. So it was it was really quite interesting. Um, very diverse range of people attending. Um, a lot of non-golf fans there that weren't there for the hospitality. You know, they were just there because it was a cool event to go to. Um, so as a fan, yeah, really, really interesting. We'll get to the golf, I'm sure, because that was fascinating. But um, the, the security was interesting. Um, we didn't show our ID once. It was We got the email saying, bring your ID or you're not getting in. That didn't happen. Um, we snuck into the first grandstand for the first tee off on the Friday security was like whatever get yourself in there so we managed to squeeze it so there was a lot of you know the sort of stuff that if you saw it in the media you'd think oh god what a terribly run event but actually when you're on site it happens at every single event you know that's just the kind of thing that happens um so yeah we'll get to the golf but as, as a as a as a fan it it looked and it played and it felt and it it transpired that it was just a heck of a lot of fun really really good event um, I'm not sure how much of that came across as well on, on the TV as well.
2: Uh, speaking on the U.S., like uh, there were certain times where I thought, oh, yeah, that looks like, like a lot of fun. But um, as you'll sort of hear from a lot of fans, like the the telecast here, here in the U.S. is kind of a debacle for <laughs> a lot of different reasons. You know, a lot of commercial load, a lot of uh, just... A lot of matches and shots not shown, which is like really interesting because it's like it's not like it's a regular PJ Tour event or a major or where you have, you know, 100 plus players on on the course at once. I mean, in in foursomes, you literally only have eight balls in play. (laughs) And at the most in four ball, you're going to have, I mean, what, 16? So, you know, it wasn't nothing. uh, necessarily a great uh, telecast it's definitely something that that they've got to work on um, I will say though I'm really happy to hear about the the fun parts of sort of being there on grounds like I do feel like you know uh, this has obviously been a really important thing for uh, for me to talk about ever since live came about like we really do need to make golf more fun and more welcoming and, and like uh, to um, a more a diverse range of fans. Like that's something that I feel like live is kind of tapped into that. I'm hoping sort of spreads to the rest of professional golf. Uh, the people that I talk to at, at the live events, all tell me the same thing, especially the people that, that have never been to a golf event before they all say, and uh, Jerry Fultz talked about this on, you know, when he came on with, with us, uh, you know, Golf as a spectator sport is really supposed to be fun. Like, yes, there are, you know, times where the competition gets really intense and and really uh, that's kind of what the whole thing is about. However, everything around it, it doesn't have to be that serious. Like you're going to have serious moments. That doesn't mean that the entire thing needs to be entirely buttoned up. It needs to be formal. Like that's just not the way to like grow the game. It just isn't. So uh, good to hear about that. Um, the experience you had there. I think that those are all really important things and I'm hoping that the golf world as a whole kind of catches on to this and, and like we really do need to be more welcoming to fans that have never been to a golf event because um, I was literally talking actually to my godfather, you know, two days ago uh, where we were like, he, he, uh, he bought a set of uh, clubs 20 years twenty years ago thinking that he was going to get into the game. And he kind of got turned off for a variety of reasons. And we were talking about all those uh, reasons. And I feel like it's more the same stuff. It's, you know, he saw it as, as being really stuffy, a little bit too serious for him. And it's like if he had a different experience sort of early on where the game was a little bit more welcoming to him and it was a little less. Formal and a little bit more fun. Like he probably would have played um every year for the last 20, 20 years instead of only a handful of times. So these are the things that I think the golf uh establishment is really starting to catch on to. And I'm I'm hoping this is something that sort of projects to, you know, the rest of golf uh for the the next few years.
0: Yeah, I think it's important as well to stress the balance of it. You know, the 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 way that the event was structured um and i've never been to a Ryder cup before i'll i'll i'll, I'll probably will be at dare i will be at Bethpage page as well but the every time i've been to a major every time i've been to any other tournament um the the on course atmosphere was the same as the off course atmosphere and i think it's important to stress that with the Ryder cup the way it was set up and the way that i think that balance can be can be cross-pollinated into other events especially events like things like the British Masters which has got the opportunity to become our you know it, it could be our waste management essentially you know we we've got a, a, the opportunity for that to be um it's not at Wentworth it's not at somewhere you know it's at the Belfry or wherever else it's at it's sponsored by a player it can it can be it can be elevated to to more of an event where you know I take my wife and she'll enjoy it. she loves the golf but she can enjoy the event as well because the Ryder Cup was very much set up where the, the, there was a demarcation between you are on the course, and don't get me wrong, it was wild, but it was respectfully wild. Whereas you're off the course, and it's a bachelor party, you know, it's a hen party, it's uh, it's a lads' holiday, it's a girls' holiday, and it was th- that demarcation was really, really clear. And it was, it was, it almost felt like a release of tension. People could leave the golf course where they were, they were cheering. I mean, it was baking heat as well. Everyone was drinking. It was baking heat. I'm talking like a hundred degree heat. Every single day, all day. And to to be able to leave the course and leave that competitive tension behind and, and and move into an area where we're all there for the same event and everyone's having fun. But to respect that boundary of, well, these guys are playing this elite golf. And don't get me wrong, they're into it. Of course they're into it. And of course they're vibing with the crowd. Of course they're having some fun that they wouldn't normally have at an event every single week in, week out. But to have that next to it, to make it feel like you're attending a whole event, I think is something that a lot, a lot of tournaments can learn from because, you know, the, the the people that went casually, they weren't buying less beer than the major golf fans. They were buying as much, if not more beer, and they were buying as much, if not more merch because, you know, they, they, of course they do. they've attended an event, like they attend a gig. So there's, there's, there's money there. There's people willing to spend, like you said, that wouldn't, maybe wouldn't go to the open because the open isn't like that. It's an amazing event, but you turn up, it's very staid. It's very stoic. It's very, um. it's relaxed, but also with that air of, Ooh, am I allowed there? Ooh, am I allowed to do this? So, you know, so it's, there's definitely a lesson there, I think. Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah.
2: I definitely think there is a balance there that I think a, a lot of, fans can sort of uh, start to understand it and see so um, yeah I think all those are really important points
0: now the score 16 and a half, eleven and a half uh, we thought it were gonna be like 28 zero at one point
1: can I give you I like, can I give you a thought on that though like 16 that sixteen and a half, and, and why it wasn't more just I know Jay's going to do a big piece on stats because he's frankly a data geek and it's amazing that I can call him a friend because he is at one point on Sunday evening, I'm thinking, am I do I even like this guy who's messaging me about data? Like Jay was just messaging me relentlessly. I think his thumbs might have been bleeding at one point on Sunday. He was in such a piss about data. I hate data. It was guaranteed to happen. Anyway, you come on to that later, otherwise you're never going to stop and we'll never do a show. The one thing that I think people underplay, and I know Jay's got data, and he's going to talk about it, but if you look at the last 30 years of Ryder Cups, whether it's home or away, generally the Americans perform worse on uh, in, in foursomes sharing that ball. That has tended to be their weakness and they perform better in singles. So when the Americans can get that that first session, day one, that first session, day two, and they can get, they can half it or get two and a half, one and a half and beyond, even be on the one and a half. That tends to lead to an American victory. The Europeans do better share in a ball. And that just seems to be borne out whole way through. I know Jay's got data on why that happens, but also that that happens just in general. And I think it's really interesting. And a shout out to our To our um, good friend Hank Haney, who did a piece I read, I listened to it this morning, and Hank went into detail on the singles, bar two of the, the singles. So think how many singles matches we had. We had 12. All of the single matches went the way of the higher ranked player on OWGR. He he did caveat by saying there are people who are one or two, three spaces apart. So let's not that they're, they're basic if you're ranked five and seven, you're basically ranked in the same place, let's be honest. But you, outside if there was a bigger ranking, all of them went the way of the OWGR. Which is quite interesting, bar those two. So it it, it was almost it played out in in quite a fashion that you look at that and that, that list of singles, and a lot of people were predicting singles, and actually they were predicting it based on who's a better player and who's ranked better. And they were getting it right. It was just that the Bob McIntyre one at the end was, was, was an anomaly. And I think it's just important that we understand that the Ryder Cup has a lot of passion. But I think, and you look at it and look at the that day one, morning one, morning, sorry, morning of day one and morning of day two actually feels where the game's won and lost. That
0: to me feels it. That is that is the real game, isn't it? Because otherwise, it's just another tournament. It's just one more round of another tournament. Um, because it's, it's it's mano a mano, but, but for points. We can
2: have a three-hour podcast about me talking about Ryder Cup Ryder Cup data. I'm going to try to keep it brief. So, your point about the singles matches and uh, generally going the the way of the higher ranked player. That's absolutely true. That actually happens. I'd say the majority of the Ryder cups. Um, And typically the U S team is a little bit better top to bottom. They have a little bit more depth. That's kind of how things were this year too. The big difference was, and I always said this from the very beginning, the whole Ryder cup was going to come down to Europe's top three to four players and them either playing, slightly uh, a slightly better than they are or worse than they were if they played worse they were they were going to lose pretty hand handily if they played pretty much as expected Europe was probably going to win if they played really really well Europe was going to win by a pretty good margin and that's pretty much exactly what happened so You know, one of the key things is that you're able to lean into your top four players in those foursomes and four ball matches way more than you're able to do that in the singles. singles. um, Everybody's kind of on their own island. Everybody is there to to be exposed Uh, in foursome and four ball. You can kind of hide maybe your weaker players, your players that just aren't quite as good as those those top four. And you have to ride your top fours strength. You got to ride your horses for as many points as possible. And if you look at the rider, this particular one, Europe's top four performed, the U.S. top four didn't. And I will say the stats are part of the reason why the course was sort of set up the way that it was. And once you kind of set up the course a certain way to feed into your horse's strengths, you're stacking the deck in your favor. So that's kind of where I was going with with the statistics. And <clears throat> you know, it feeds into your point exactly about you know the singles matches going a particular way, except the, the foursomes and the four ball. There is so much strategy that goes into the foursomes and the four ball. Like it's like there's enough data there that would make people's heads spin. Um, just with certain matchups, people that pair well and alternate shot people that pair well in a four ball best ball like there's totally different metrics around both of those like that's a whole nother discussion the one the main reason why i say that the Ryder cup was is sort of being predetermined a little bit before the matches are actually played is because of these inherent advantages that the home team has to set up the course a particular way. The US, we did the same stuff at, at uh, Whistling Straits in 2021. We did it not quite to the same extent, but we did it at Hazeltine in <clears throat> 2016. Europe, they did similar stuff in France in 2018. They did similar stuff in Scotland in 2014. and. They, <laughs> did it this, this year and the margins are starting to get to the point where people need to start thinking about wait a minute like we used to get so many close rider cups like it used to always come down to like the, those last few matches and like 14 and a half 13 and a half spreads and thing, things like that we uh we're not getting that that now and i promise you we're not going to get that at beth page either if things stay the way that they are Yes, there is variance just based on how people play and all that, except I think that there is so much advantage towards knowing your players' strengths, setting up the golf course a particular way, to the point where you go into the Ryder Cup up three to four points already, just based off of that. So if the other team wants to win, they have to way outperform expectations uh, to even keep it close. So that's kind of where I'm going on the data side. Again, trust me, I could go a lot deeper into this stuff. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to bore everybody to death. But, you know, if you you go to my Twitter profile, I've retweeted a bunch of articles. Um, I've put in my own statistical analysis of uh, the reasons why I think Europe – One And the reasons why I think that they went in there basically with the three to four point uh, lead and the U.S. would have had to really overperform expectations to even keep it close. And I don't I just uh, knowing what I know now, like I I wish I I had said this three weeks ago because I would look look like Nostradamus, but, you know, I was blinded a, a little bit by things people told me Ryder cup players tell me how important team chemistry in the team room and sort of passion is and look i'm not going to discount that all that stuff is important uh but i will say i would love to have more neutral core setups because i do think that uh that will increase the odds of us having closer Ryder cups
0: in the future there's definitely a couple of ways to to look at that as well a couple of perspectives on it there's the you you can see it so if, if you're a if you're a movie studio, you know, you keep making superhero movies because the dopamine hits are thick and fast and people want dopamine, so they buy the tickets. Um, and it's almost the same when you've got a Ryder Cup where Europe hammers the US in the foursomes on the Friday morning. You, the dopamine hits for the masses are there, and thus it becomes an amazing Ryder Cup for them because, wow, look at this. This is what we saw. The dopamine gets gets flowing. And then it happens again, it happens again, and you get the nail biters on the Sunday with the singles. So there's, I understand that perspective. And I'd also say as well that there's, there's that sort of perspective that actually the captains have probably got a little bit more to do prior to the week if they're relying on the data because they've got to interpret the data, they've got to read the data, they've got to think through the strategy, they've got to become the strategist and they've got to become the, uh, the military tactician and and really work out a plan. Whereas I can see the other perspective as well uh, around the neutrality, because I think that would lead to more nail biters, not only on the Sunday, but every single day. And I think it would be more balanced. And uh, so I, I, I actually do understand if we take out all the, you know, the home team advantage per se, if you take that out, and if you look at the business of the media of golf in terms of golf, not the golf media, but golf being a media that sells to consumers, Massive dopamine hits and big historical stories are fantastic for, for 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 making book. That's that's just a fact. But I agree, I think overall, a nail biter, a 14, uh, 14 and for half, 14 and a half, coming down to a you know, imagine jo- Justin Rose's one of his four or five clutch puts that he made all week. Imagine if that had been for the last half point. Or the Bob McIntyre, or the Fleetwood, um, you know. There's no way Fowler's conceding that if we're at 40 and a half, 30 and a half. Um So yeah, I, I, I see both perspectives on that, dude. I think it's an interesting, interesting discussion, and no doubt there'll be people that land on both sides of it. I, I want to say that I don't care
1: that I'm. I don't mind Ryder Cups where there is a bigger margin of victory. I don't mind it being loaded to the home team, because that makes an away win worth it more. If you just have these neutral setups and Europe wins in America, America wins in Europe, it's a bit close, this, that, and the other, I actually think you don't say to Man United, i like, just give an example many people won't know, but foot, soccer pitches for Americans, football pitches for as for, for English people, they can be differing widths, and many people don't know that. They think it's one size of field, but actually a, a football pitch can be varying different widths. Sheffield Wednesday play at a place called Hillsborough, Aston Villa play at Villa Park, and Man City used to play at Main Road. Those pitches, those three, were the maximum dimensions of width you could have because at a given point when they had those pitches, they had fast wingers, so they had pitches that allowed them to play wider, quicker football. There are other teams that had narrower pitches, this is back in the day, because they had, they want they wanted to be bunched up. They had they had hoofers and kickers and bullies and they wanted the game played in close quarters. I don't think Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, whoever it might be, should be forced to change their home pitch. And they're not. So I don't think the Europeans should having a neutral setup. You wanna you wanna go with a setup that encourages good play from 210 to 230 iron play? Go for it. That's your prerogative. It's your home course. You set it up like that. And if the Americans can come over and beat Europe like that, great. If the Americans have a bomber's paradise, which Beth Page probably will be in many ways, let's go for it. I actually like the home course set up, set up by the home team, let the home team have that advantage. That is their advantage. I like it. And I don't want it to change. I understand everything Jay's saying, and I completely get it, but I like it. I like that setup.
2: There's a lot of traditionalists that feel that that same way, like, oh, we need to sort of keep these inherent advantages and all that. And I totally get that. What I'm saying is that if we want this event uh, to be more popular and make it and make it bigger and a- attract more casual fans, like we do kind of have to have closer rider Cups. We just do. So it's like I want it to be neutral because like I know how exciting it is to have that rider cup that sort of comes down to the last day like the first few rider cups that i ever watched 97 at valderrama 99 at brookline like those came down to the wire and it was so so exciting that it got me excited about about the rider cup and uh trust me back then i was not nearly as passionate about golf as i am now like i was just kind of like a casual oh yeah this is cool like i i uh, I'm in the team sports, so I, I like team golf. Uh, everybody already knows how much I, I love team golf, obviously. But uh, that got me into the Ryder Cup because I was so excited about seeing a closer matchup. So I'm coming from the perspective of someone that, uh, like I've said a million times, I want to get more people into watching this, especially on the U.S. side. And I do think that if we're able to sort of tweak it, and this isn't like a major I wouldn't say this was really a major change. I think having a neutral setup is a, a fairly minor change that could result in. Um, It's 100 percent going to result in a, a situation where we have the chance, a much higher chance of it being a closer Ryder Cup. And that's really what I want in the end. So because I know how exciting that that is, and I know it's going to get more casual fans to sort of tune in and see it
0: the vast majority of players play on the PGA Tour anyway, let's be honest. We're all, you, you strip out the Ryder Cup, you're, you're playing the same courses with similar setups. You know, everyone is at that same level, you know, top 50 of the world, uh, pretty much at the same level with the exception of the outliers, you know, the the, the real kind of superstar talent. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. We'll see if anything transpires. I want to, uh, I want to get through a couple of other bits. Um, the first one I want to do is, your star picks, your star players, out of the Ryder Cup. There's a lot of contenders for this from 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 Cantley and Homer on the US side to Rosie to Rory to Hovland to Rat. There's a heck of a lot of contenders for this one. But who's your star player, Jay? Who would you pick as as your own personal star of the show? It's
2: a good question. Uh, for the Europe side, I think there's really comes down to two players, uh, Rom and Hovland, and all the Stats kind of back that up. Look, I, I know people are going to take that as, oh, you're taking a shot at Rory, and it's like, yeah, Rory was probably the third best player. Um, and and look, if you have Rory as your third best player in the Ryder Cup, you're you're going to be pretty good. Chance uh, chances are, but, uh, Rom Hovland and I got to give the nod to Hovland a little bit just because I think he set the tone at the very very start, the very first match. Uh, He chips in on the first green and totally I was listening uh, to Max Homa talk about it on the uh, knowing up podcast. And he basically said how, you know, Europe coming out and sort of doing what they did that that first day. It totally kind of shell shocked the 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 American team, and they're like, "Oh my god! Like, how are we going to win this thing? Like, we're we're not playing that poorly, but but if you got guys holding out, and you've got Hovland whose chipping hasn't been good, and all of a sudden he's holding out uh, chip shots, and then Rom is is hol- holding out like three different chip shots on one day and one <laughs> one particular day at the, the Ryder Cup, you're going to be totally behind the eight ball. So. You know, I definitely think Hovland kind of set the tone for uh, the Europe European team. As far as the American team goes, uh, it really comes down to two for me, and all the stats kind of back this up. Uh, I got to go with Max Homa, and I have to go with Patrick Cantlay. Those are kind of the two that sort of stand out to me. Uh, look, Max Homa, uh, three and one, three and a half points. I mean, uh, you know, was by far, you know, getting the most amount of points of any of the U.S. players, except I got to say probably Patrick Cantley is the MVP solely because late on that Saturday, I mean, Patrick Cantlay was, was looking like Ian Poulter at Medina and, you know, giving the U.S. a glimmer of hope that maybe they could pull a miracle on Sunday. So, I mean, Patrick Cantlin was making clutch putt after clutch putt, and that last putt, the 35-footer on the last hole to win that match, just to keep the U.S. even remotely in it, even though the result was was pretty much decided at that point. Um, he's my MVP for uh, this particular Ryder Cup uh, on the American side, and, uh, yeah, it was a really great performance. I thought that he did well. uh strokes gain, I think he was – think it was number two to home of but uh, again i got to give him the edge for uh the, the sort of clutch putting and uh, clutch shot making late on saturday because it could have been um a really big blowout and that that one match kind of stemmed the tide a little bit and gave the u.s just a little bit of momentum going into sunday
0: yeah you, you got to agree with uh With that one, can't they? It it felt like without that, the momentum was just gone for Sunday. One thing I say about the Hovland chip, because we we watched that from the first tee. um, We watched Rambo as well do all his magic. Um, Interesting thing. So we're walking up to the grandstand. And as you walk in, so you walk into the course from the fan area, driving range on the left-hand side, putting green on the right-hand side, all right? There's two people there, Max Homer, he's chipping from off the green. Victor Hovland is in a dip on the green, chipping to the flag. And then the first hole, he gets put in that position to do that. He was he was hammering a very very similar chip on the putting green 20 minutes before he uh, he teed off, which I thought was really interesting when he put it in. So I don't know if there was some strategy of Oberg putting him at the back right of that green. Um, but you know, it feels a bit wild, like why not put it closer, but he, trust me, like the man was hitting balls off the green. Um, and he he was just chipping. It was literally on the green chipping, you know, 10, 20 balls. Um, so that, that, I thought that was quite interesting, but, uh, Ben, who's your, who's your MVP per side?
1: I think that everyone is overlooking Tyrell Hatton. Hatton got three and a half points and only played four games. So everyone else, everyone else has feel like got. Everyone else has got more points. They they played all five. So look, Hovland got three and a half points, played five. Rory got four points, played five. Um, Tyrell got three and a half points, played four, and was absolutely the cheerleader of the team. Completely all over that singles match, all over. He, I just think that underrated how, like instrumental his personality is and, and the, the dog in him he's got so much dog in him we know that he's a bit of a swearer and what well, I'd like a swearer as well but hey I try not to do it on camera when children can listen but I'm not going to attack him too much for it but I think that people underrate Tyrrell Hatton like you've just he body bagged the Americans for, of a possible four points he got three and a half and was instrumental in driving the, the pairings he was playing in and was a team leader and a team mascot in so many ways that finished his match right straight in with the other teams, with them all the time. And I think that just gets overlooked. I think I Hatton think for me, was the player of the tournament. I think Victor, yeah, I get it, out of the gate, smashing people aggressively, winning those points, fantastic. But Tyrrell for me, was, was the European's best player. I think I got to Inter- take a
2: little bit of points off. I got to take a little bit of points off for Terrell Hatton because he played with Rom and he played with Havland in the foursomes and fall four So I got to take
0: point. He was so pissed. Off. He was, did yeah. the media after. And it, he was. An, you could see he was annoyed with himself because Rambo, you know, outside. Honestly, outside of that bunker shot on the first, which really did set the tone for the match. Granted, I'll give him that one to get the spin that he got out of that bunk. I mean, it was set up nicely, but, um, it was cracking shot. You know, there's no doubt about that, but Rambo, I mean, he was on fire. So yeah, I think Tyrell was miffed at the end of that first match, but I do get it cause he, he was, he did fire everyone up. I think he was he in the team room as well. I think that's super important, but, uh, yeah, I hear you on that one, Jay, actually. I do hear you on that one. Um, ben, US? You're, you're both wrong, but there we go. <laughs> um, I think it's difficult to pick a player outside
1: of Max Homer You've got so much criticism coming into it. And like, there's so many Max Homer haters, and I know some of the people don't like him and this, that, and the other. I actually like Max Homer. I've never been an attacker of Max Homer. I quite like him. And again, a player with a load of dog in him. I like players with dogs. Who do, who do I want playing for me? You want players who turn up and are good players, you want players with dog in them. Like you look down that, you'd look down the European team, Hatton, a load of dog in him, Rahm, a load of dog in him, Robert McIntyre, a load of dog in him. I like that. Shane Larry, a load of dog. I like the players with dog in him. I like people who chips are down and are going to keep grinding and going for it and going for it. I've said, while well, America have got fantastic players, I don't feel they may be played with the dog in them in quite the same way. Until. Joe LaCarva goes mental on the 18th and, and Cat Lake goes birdie's three in a row to, to get that 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 victory for himself. I think that's what stirred up the
0: dog in them. It is hard to argue with Max Homer because he was just bulletproof all the way through. Um but I'm 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 actually I'm huge, and i we and I hate saying this because I think they like I don't want to say that I don't like him because I don't know him, and that's really, really unfair. But I get a little bit wound up looking at Patrick Cantlay mm. and I I don't know why I, it's not a media thing. It's nothing to do with Jamie. Weir making the stuff up about his hat. And, um, it, I mean, Patrick's saying he got a head that was too big and then wearing a hat on Saturday night was wild, but whatever. <laughs> um, also hats are adjustable. So that's an interesting bit of life. Um, <laughs> I thought that was weak. He should have just come out and done what we would have all done, which is I don't want a tan line from a wedding because I'm going to look exactly. a right bell end. Just exactly, that's that. the answer. <laughs> just say that. I don't yeah. want a tan line from a wedding. I'm getting, ma-
1: I'm getting married on Monday. I don't want a tan line. We'd don't have, leave me yeah. alone. We'd have all been like, of course,
0: Patrick. Like, we're totally cool with that, mate. Like, good luck to you, my friend. You just keep doing what you do. Um, But it's, it's hard not to give the MVP for me to Cantley as well just because he got so fired up. And it's, it's a close one between him and Homer. Um, Europeans there's a, f- a few contenders for me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dish it out just based on a similar reason to Cantley, keeping momentum when they could have lost it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give it to Rosie just because he put two clutch puts in when he really needed to. And that fight back in the singles as well, he was like an inch of coming back and squaring that match out. Um so I, I yeah, but I think for someone to do it, he was two years younger than Luke Donald, than the captain. It's probably his last Ryder Cup as a player. He was up against some serious heavyweight young guns. So I'm I'm going to give it to him just based on that.
2: Um, I got to say the one thing about Justin Rose, um, and I kind of uh, I'm a Rose fan. I'm I'm a part of Team Rose. I like Justin Rose. Um, I kind of dogged him on Twitter a little bit because uh, his. Strokes game, Tita Green was pretty bad the the, the entire Ryder Cup. However, I, I will give him credit. Sometimes the um, hitting it poorly can sort of feed into your short game and your putting. With Justin Rose, it absolutely did not with his putting. He was number one um, in strokes game putting amongst all competitors in the Ryder Cup. He gained almost five shots on the green, uh, which was the most on Team Europe like. I think it was the most by like two shots. So I got to give Justin Rose, not only for that, that particular stat, I will say he did make some very clutch putts uh, towards the end. And as the veteran leader, he, he was the oldest person on, on that team. uh, I I think by like a, a pretty sizable margin, you know, for him to be, the sort of clutch player down, down the stretch. I do think that that helped set the tone for a Team Europe. So
0: um, I like that pick too. All right, we're going to wrap on our Ryder Cup top. Actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw you a curveball question. I want a single name from you guys. No reasoning, just the name. Europe and US. Jay, who will be the US and the European captain at Bethpage? Ooh. Great question.
2: Um, one word answer for the US Phil. I've been campaigning for Phil. I've been campaigning for it. I've already posted it on Twitter. The next six months, I'm going to be like uh, campaigning for a presidential candidate. Like I am campaigning for Phil at Bethpage. Being a Long Islander, being someone that 2002 US Open really quickly, everybody in the world pretty much rooting for tiger to win that i was rooting for phil mickelson to win that just (laughs) fyi so people in long island love phil i think it's perfect for him and it's kind of what the golf world needs if we're really going to heal this we got to start bringing the live players back into the fold at some point this would be a really great gesture love it europe european team reinstate henrik stenson that seems like the logical choice to me i think you got he really got done wrong for a variety of reasons. They actually named him captain two, two year, almost two years ago. Then they stripped it. You got to give it back to him and give him a chance. So I'm sure he would have preferred doing Marco Simone because uh, Europe had a much better chance of winning than they will at Beth, but he deserves it. So give it to Henrik Stenson. Look, they have a long line of players that should be captains. Stenson, Sergio, Westwood, Poulter, uh, Graham McDowell. Uh, Those are probably the next five captains if I had to pick them. Justin Rose maybe at the end of that too. So you can do each one one of those in the next few iterations and then uh, I'd be totally happy. But we got to start bringing the live players back into the fold. This would be a great gesture.
0: Ben, Europe and U.S.,
1: who are you saying? It's the longest one-word answer I've ever known. That's Three minutes of one word. (laughs) The answer was
0: one minute. The reasoning was like, I got to give people a reason. (laughs) I got to give people a reason, sorry.
1: (laughs) It will be Tiger versus Luke Donald. It should be Phil versus Henrik. It will be Tiger versus Luke. They'll give Luke another go. And it will be Tiger versus Luke Donald. It should be Phil versus
0: Henrik. No chance if I'm Luke, I'm taking that. I know he probably will do, but I would keep my reputation intact. I don't want to pull a pod rig and uh, out there on Long Island. Um, I'm going to go with... I'd like it to be Tiger and Sergio for a bit of a fight, but... I do think it could be Phil because of how much he's loved in New York. And I think you might be right, Ben. I do think it'll be Donald as well. I just, I think they'll lure him back. I don't think he'll say no to that one. All right, we're going to wrap up on a little bit of news from over in Korea. So Ben, tell us a little bit about, you posted something, 15, 16 months. It has transpired. Give us a background, give us a very quick rundown of what's been going on this week. I think it is an interesting story.
1: Um, I think for me, it's just, there was a lot of talk about 18 months ago about which players are going to go to live, which players are going to do this. And a lot of people were saying, well, are the Korean players going to go? And I said straight away, they aren't going to go because they cannot afford to leave the PGA Tour without access to majors. Why was that important? Because to not do military service, you have to complete an action that brings um, pride to the nation. So that was either getting an Olympic medal for golf or winning a major And unless they had major access, they couldn't necessarily win a major to get that pride. What they've gone and done is win the um, Asian Games, which is exempted them from military service. Now, does that mean the South Korean players can go to live? I'm not saying it does. What I'm saying is now they're exempt. So guaranteed major access for the chance to win a major to, to avoid military service is no longer a consideration. And that was a huge barrier. We also know there's an event going to South Korea, highly likely an event going to South Korea next year with Live. We know there's highly likely to be a Hong Kong event at the Hong Kong Golf Club. That's virtually guaranteed based on the sourcing I've been given Is the Hong Kong event at the Hong Kong Golf Club. So what do I think is going to happen? I think we've got these two superstar South Korean golfers that have now possibly remove their big well definitely remove their biggest barrier from going over to live which was they would wanted access to the majors to have those chances to get military exemption they've now got military exemption let's see what happens over the next six weeks eight well six weeks 12 weeks
2: very interesting i will say really quickly just to add on uh, to that uh, we are gonna i think we're, we're gonna do a podcast in the next few weeks where we talk about live golf in the future are making projections who's going etc etc what courses are they gonna, they're going to play all that stuff i do think that that's a really strong point i don't think it's a coincidence korea got added to the schedule um i do think that we're going to see major changes to the iron heads obviously over, over the next few months um and i do think that there's there's a strong chance that, that we have a really strong korean presence on live next year I know a lot of people have been speculating about Tom Kim I don't think that's going to happen for a variety of reasons that we'll sort of dive into it another time but uh, yeah I think it's going to be really interesting and uh, shout out to uh, Team South Korea for winning in the um, Asian Games really really impressive stuff
0: super interesting yeah it's going to be interesting to see what transpires with that one it's uh, such an element of the game that we're very rarely exposed to it's not something that I would ordinarily take notice of because it's just not as mainstream Reported, So very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Ben. All right. We're going to stick a pin in it. And we're going to be back next week, as always, with our news and views here on Golf Lovers United. If you want to give us your views on the Ryder Cup, who your MVP was, who you think the next captain is going to be, you can do so at GLU Golf Club over on Twitter. Until then, enjoy yourself. Tell your friends about GLU gc Keep enjoying your golf, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye for now.